Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my friend, Kendra Wilson. In this episode, Kendra discusses soul retrieval, shamanic journeys, and hypnotherapy. Kendra describes the ups and downs of her healing journey with Lyme disease, including the medical gaslighting, her use of coil machines for healing, and Lyme stop therapy. Next, Kendra discusses Transcendental Meditation, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and her decision to enroll in a master's program at Maharishi International University. From there, we discuss the concept of spiritual intrusions and the practice of depossession. Then we talk about letting go of control and how we flow in tune with the universe when we're able to do so. We end the conversation discussing cosmic consciousness, the natural flow of energy towards least resistance, and discovering bliss while here on Earth. The outro for this episode and all episodes is available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Please enjoy. Kendra, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Jordan. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really excited for the conversation tonight. think that there's a lot of different topics that we can cover. Kendra and I actually uh, recently met through our master's program at Maharishi International University, which has been really exciting for me at least, and hopefully for Kendra as well. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that program, which just started a few weeks ago. But maybe to kick things off, Kendra, why don't you... Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background, and we can go from there. All right, great. So my name's Kendra, and I'm 35 years old. I grew up in Northwest Indiana, like a little poor kid, survived all that, moved out at 16, and made my way to Iowa for my undergraduate degree at St. Ambrose University. I've always had intuitive gifts, like when I was a little kid. My dad would be watching Jeopardy, and I'd be like three or four years old, and I would just know the answer. And I had no way of knowing this information. It just kind of came out of the ethers. And so it stayed with me throughout my life. And when I started college at St. Ambrose in my early 20s, I was gifted a soul retrieval, a shamanic soul retrieval. And what that is, is basically, I, I was, so I was seeing this therapist, and he was like, you know, you really process through life well, through your trauma. And he was like, you don't need talk therapy, like you're wasting your time because you're positive, you're optimistic, you see the bigger picture, you know what's wrong and you fix it. What you need, you're just fragmented. You've had all this, you know, my dad was an abusive alcoholic and my mom's an alcoholic. And so it was just a lot of years of trauma. And in the therapeutic world, they call it dissociation. In the shamanic world, they call it soul loss. And what that means is, You leave a piece of yourself in a moment in time, a piece of your soul or essence of yourself or consciousness in that moment in time. And that's how we're just programmed to do that in order to survive. It's easier to just, you know, we think it's easier to leave that piece of us in that moment. But the only thing we're doing is leaving ourselves fragmented. So a lot of times people with depression and other psychiatric symptoms just need their soul parts back. Because we need to be whole. And so he did the soul retrieval. He collected the soul part. He told me how old it was, why it left, and the gift that it's returning, which is the most important thing in the world. You know, that's the only thing to focus on. The other stuff was just, he had no way of knowing this information, stuff I had completely forgotten about. And 
he brought these soul parts back and I began to thrive. You know, I stopped drinking and partying, you know, and it just happened passively. I started excelling in school. I changed my major like a hundred times, but I changed it like <laughs> officially and, and just, I started studying abroad and traveling the world and just really finding who I was. So that kickstarted my passion. And when I graduated St. Ambrose University, I started studying Sandra Ingerman's work, reading her books on my flight. I, I bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand, got a working holiday visa, and I was going over there to learn about sustainability. I wanted to go as far away from <laughs> this country as possible and just get away from my crazy family and go to the most beautiful place on earth. And I think I found it when I landed. And I just began diving into the shamanic stuff. And when I learned how to do a shamanic journey, I was able to journey to my guides who started teaching me how to do healing work. And I'm a person with crazy high integrity. And so I don't want to practice anything without checking with somebody. So I was checking with like shamanic elders, working with shamans in New Zealand, Maori, and just making sure that what my guides were teaching me was accurate. And it was all spot on. And I just knew. And what that is, you know, when I say guides or power animals, it's just an essence of your own consciousness. It's a piece of yourself that shows up in a way that metaphorically makes sense, you know, like, if there's like bear medicine, then there's something about love and protection that you're harnessing. And and so I started doing healing work when I lived in New Zealand, mostly distance work. I had some family in the States who, you know, my aunt was diagnosed with cancer and didn't tell anybody what it was. So I did a journey to her and I found all the spots and it was spot on to, you know, and I knew that she wasn't going to make it. And which again, with these gifts I for lack of better word I say gifts but this is something that everybody's capable of you know it's not something that you know it's just a matter of diving into your own consciousness and being open and receptive to this when I lived in New Zealand it was easy to be wide open because I lived symbiotic with the land I lived naked in the rainforest in Melford Sound I fished spearfished and hunted and gathered and you know I did a lot of farm work but for the most part I, I lived in Melford Sound towards the end of my visa and it was just incredible like I could feel the earth I could feel when there was going to be a mudslide or a storm or an earthquake I would know when the tide was going to be high or low and when optimal spearfishing would be like it would just be like a sound in my heart I really I felt completely feral you know I had like my hair turned into dreadlocks and I just literally like there's a picture on the internet somewhere of me naked and spearfishing by a waterfall on the foreshore of Milford Sound and it was like these tourists saw me spearfishing and they were like can I take this picture but for you because this is how people yeah. are supposed to live and you know so it was really great and it made it easier to do this healing work because I was so wide open in my consciousness and fast forwarding to now you know I do hypnotherapy and stuff now as well I started doing that a year ago and in the middle of all that I, I ended up getting sick with Lyme disease that I've probably had most of my life and and the answer to why I was dying I, I got pregnant with my daughter in 2016 after I, I moved back to the country and moved to Colorado and I got really really sick I, I battled a little bit of cancer treated it naturally and holistically and it went away you know all stuff I would never recommend anybody doing but it worked for me so I'm grateful lots of healing work lots of conscious work crystal bowl meditations at my friends yurt every weekend shamanic journey groups jump drum circles and different things and you know all the even my uterine fibroids went away I learned that after I got 
pregnant in 2016 and got violently ill. And when my daughter and I, my daughter was nine months old and she was really sick, born sick from me, obviously. And I was dying and I had this dream that said over and over again, you have Lyme disease, you have encephalitis right now, go to the emergency room. And, and so I did. And the lady, if anybody listening has Lyme disease, you know, the medical gaslighting is insane. You know, people don't believe you. They tell you you're crazy. It's all in your head. You know, there's nothing wrong with your kid, even though we were like hypothermic chronically and just sweating formaldehyde, literally actively dying. And so I went to this hospital at four in the morning and this lady was like, have you been evaluated for Lyme? Because I can test you with an ELISA, but it's not accurate. You have to pay for the IGENX test. It's not covered. And, you know, just I'm telling you, it sounds like you have chronic Lyme disease mm-hmm. and this is going to be a tough journey, but at least you know. And so two days later, I met this holistic doctor, Dr. Kurt Bokenhauer in Omaha, Nebraska. I was out there for a little while and he started treating me with a coil machine it's like uses frequencies and stuff and my daughter and I got a lot better but then we did experimental Lyme stuff and got worse and spent a year bedridden which changed me in a lot of ways for the best unfortunately like it's I like to call these things gifts with shit on them because it really (laughs) (laughs) it really is like once you wipe off the shit there's a gift under there (laughs) it just takes a lot of a lot of heart to see it, I guess. But, you know, it really has opened up my empathy, my my love for literally anybody going through anything. If somebody's angry or mad, I'm like, I don't know what, they're go- what they've got going on in their heart, but I'm just going to bless them with love because yeah. I've been there. And when I, I, I got a little bit better, I did like bee venom therapy and all kinds of crazy stuff, stem cell therapy. And now I'm doing Lime Stop in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and that seems to be working pretty well as long as I can stay out of mold. And what is Lime Stop? Oh, yeah. So that is, it's all natural, and it's approved by ILIADS, which is like the International Lyme Disease Association. Mm-hmm. They actually gave my daughter a grant to treat her. They use magnets. It's kind of wow. like... Yeah, it's like craniobiotic therapy. A lot of people know what that is for like allergies and stuff. But it basically, there are different points on your body, and they use magnets on specific spots of your body, usually on the top of your head, to change your magnetic field and then activate your immune system to the points on your body, almost like acupuncture points, Uh where each Lyme infection, because Lyme disease isn't just Lyme, it's like Bartonella, Babesia, all the crap that goes with it. It's a nightmare of, of diseases and pathogens. But it activates your immune system to attack each one in order. And I could tell in my body, you know, which which pathogens were dying. Like a week after Lyme stopped, my vision was really blurry. And they found a toxoplasmosis infection. So mm. I could tell that's what was dying. Because with Lyme, everything flares as it dies. Because it's like each pathogen has a bunch of endotoxins and biotoxins that kill you slowly when they're alive. And then when they die, it like bursts and all this junk gets dumped into your system it's horrible so I noticed that first and then I noticed like Epstein-Barr virus I had a really bad Epstein-Barr flare as it was dying and like I have the labs to confirm when it was flaring my titers were off the charts and now they're gone completely Mm -hmm. so like it works (laughs) but you know I, I found a little mild aspergillus problem at my current house so we're remediating that this week and I think that's why I felt so bad and I go to my follow up they do a follow up after four months and you go 
Like the first treatment is like for a week. You go every day, a couple times a day, and they keep treating you and treating you for a week. And then you go back four months later. And all of this is only like $3,500. I mean, it's insane how anyone with Lyme disease probably spit out their drink even just hearing that because... I mean, I spent $20,000 on stem cell therapy, you know, ozone therapy. It's $20,000, $30,000 if you can actually afford that to heal, and it doesn't work half the time. And so, like, for $3,500, they have an 85% success rate. And with wow. kids, yeah, like, for Lyme, that's huge. That's amazing. And I was feeling like I was in remission for a while, like I was exercising again every day. And then I, again, I think it's just the recent mold exposure and because it's time for my four month follow up. And that's mm-hmm. why they make you come back in four months because like dormant stuff can pop up and then they clean it out the rest of the way. They give mm-hmm. you all the supplements and put you on a protocol. And with me, I have mast cell activation syndrome, which means like it's hell, but it's like a hypersensitivity from limbic trauma. I'm sensitive to chemicals, smells, mold, you know, like pretty much everything. I can eat like three foods, which that started to get better too before this just recently. So I was nervous about the supplements and stuff, but I tolerated them all really well, thank God. So so we did that and I'm, I'm super hopeful about that. But honestly, recently, you know, I started at MIU and... I've always known, you know, everything is consciousness. Everything is, everyone who's ever healed has had a deep spiritual connection. One of my favorite books is Cured by Dr., I think it's Jeffrey Rediger, and there's a pattern. He studied spontaneous remission and recovery, which isn't like overnight. It just means like people with incurable illnesses, like legally defined, diagnosed curable illnesses were cured. And... One of the biggest patterns is just people had faith and a deep level of consciousness. They were consciously aware of themselves and expanded that consciousness and they got better. And some of them changed their diet and like started exercising or doing yoga. Some of them did nothing and they still got better. So I really believe that it's just layers. And as I dive into transcendental meditation, which I do religiously and twice a day every day, I can see so much more and I feel like I'm a fairly conscious being already, especially being in hypnotherapy, studying the subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's everything. Like if we're lucky, we use 5% of our brains, you know, that's our conscious thinking mind, but everything we do is subconscious. And I've been doing just as much work on myself as I do with other people with hypnosis. And it's really opened me up to see my own patterns and put it in front of me so I can change what I want to and rearrange it and get rid of things that don't serve me. But it is, it takes time. I I mean, maybe it doesn't. I don't know everything. I I believe in miracles and I believe that I could wake up tomorrow and start training for a marathon goals. But, you know, I just, I also think that there's a part of it that's healing karma. And when I say that, I don't mean like the daunting karma, like you did bad things in life. It's darkness haunting you it just means karma in my my own personal definition of karma is just the inability to forgive oneself because like in hypnosis I've been exploring quantum jumping and I offer a quantum jumping session I've got a recording on my website and I you know I can personalize it too but it's about healing karma and it takes you back to 
an event that is the, the cause. And when I went back to my own cause of, of course, I'm going to go back to why am I sick? Why am I dealing with Lyme disease? I saw myself doing horrible things. And the message that I felt in my heart was like, I was like defending myself, but I had to hurt somebody. And I was like, it was like three lifetimes ago. And like, it was really wild. It wasn't the fact that I hurt somebody, that I was being punished by like some sort of sick law it was the fact that i couldn't forgive myself Mm. for it and so like our soul our consciousness doesn't change lifetime to lifetime we so if you you have a full glass and try to pour water and it's going to overflow it doesn't work and we come into these bodies with a full glass Mm -hmm. and we have all this junk that we've carried with us from so many lifetimes and it doesn't mean you have to go to back to every single event but just going back to one event opens you up so much more just knowing that and you don't manipulate it you don't change it it's not like other hypnosis sessions where you make it what you want something beautiful and manifest it and then future pace to what your life is like this you just witness it and by simply witnessing it it corrects it because you become consciously aware of it how can you forgive yourself from something that you're not consciously aware of you is, know? is this quantum jumping you're describing yeah okay. sorry and so in quantum jumping it t- you know and that's just one of the quantum jumping sessions i do i can is that similar to like past life regression it is it's it's similar um past life regression it's more like you're manipulating things and changing them just by giving love to the parts of you that need them the most giving that part of you what it is you need to heal the resources but in quantum jumping it's just like the gentle observer non-judgmental yeah and for me like i i do past life regressions too and i love them i think a lot of stuff can be done doing the shamanic work too it's simpler in my opinion but i also i just i love the quantum jumping i feel Mm -hmm. like it dives in way deeper and it just goes straight to the point And I feel like simultaneously doing things like transcendental meditation, they'll get there eventually. Mm -hmm. Like eventually your consciousness will be so wide open doing TM or transcendental meditation that these things will just become obvious. Mm -hmm. You may Mm -hmm. not see the vision of what you did, but you may just get this sense in your heart that I think I need to put down all this junk that I'm carrying, you know, that doesn't serve me. I need to love and forgive myself. And... I think Louise Hay says forgiveness is the root of all disease, and I truly believe that. And it was when I finally decided to commit to forgiveness, and I didn't even understand consciously understand what that meant. But I did like a whole shamanic ritual. I was pregnant with my daughter in 2016, and just about forgiveness. And that's when I started to get sick. And with Lyme disease, when you start to heal, you get worse. You know, when stuff dies inside your body, it just wreaks havoc. I don't Mm. know that it has to, but that's just been my experience. It's taught me some painful lessons. And then um, some other things that I like to do in quantum jumping, I haven't uploaded any of these recordings to my website yet, but I've been doing some of these sessions where the slit theory shows, suggests that when we observe something, you know, these particles collapse in time and space, suggesting that perhaps these particles can exist in other time and space, mm-hmm. you know, but they're just not being observed the same way. And when they, when they don't know they're being observed, then they act differently. So, I mean, that's the super general <laughs> description of it. I mean, obviously, people listening can Google it and read the whole study. It's fascinating. But... We exist in multiple dimensions in time and space. Whatever you want is happening somewhere. So 
Like, obviously, I want perfect health. I want to run a marathon. I want my life back. I want to be able to eat food again and enjoy it and have a cup of coffee and not go into anaphylactic shock and die. So you can go to a version of yourself and you can interview it, ask it questions. There's a version of you that solved this problem. And when I quantum jump to versions of me who have solved mast cell activation and Lyme disease, a lot of it is they're like, just keep meditating, like <laughs> keep doing your transcendental meditation because that's what's going to get you there mm -hmm. the best way. And I truly believe that, you know, I don't think it's some magic cure. I think, you know, I can kill Lyme disease all day long, but if I don't heal my limbic system and limbic trauma and heal my own life inside my heart and just open my consciousness and be okay with all the past lives and all the junk that I've been through that I, I'm carrying and I don't even know it. Expanding your consciousness is the most important thing you can do. And I think there's a lot of like toxic spirituality out there. Mm. People are like like the good vibes only crowd. I apologize if I'm offending anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's not about thinking positive. I mean, that's good. I think it's great, but not to the point of, like, gaslighting the real feelings and not feeling them. Uh -huh. I think that's super important. It's an important part of healing and growing, and vulnerability is a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a gift to yourself. But I think, you know, it's not about, like, going up. A lot of people are like, rise up, you know, high vibration, rise up. And it's like, it's not about going up. It's about going in. Uh-huh. And when we can go within ourselves, everything we want truly is in there, you know? And this is all stuff that I knew prior to getting sick or knowing I was sick. I've probably been sick. I've been sick most of my life. But So do you think you had got Lyme, like, as a kid and then it just didn't really, like, uh, activate until later in life? Yeah, definitely. And uh -huh. I think it did activate. Like, I was diagnosed with POTS when I was five years old where you, like, oh. sit up too fast and black out, you know? So I think I had, like, Bartonella is one of the worst infections. So you think those are all symptoms of having the Lyme like yeah. okay god Completely. I didn't realize that interesting yeah I had a lot of Lyme symptoms a lot of neurological problems from the time I was a kid like insomnia as a little kid which is not normal pots mm -hmm. you know I had cats who would get fleas fleas carry Babesia, cats carry Bartonella. I have both those infections. I had stretch marks as a really young, like little girl, and I was never overweight. I've always been really petite. And so stretch marks are very, very common. They call it the Bartonella rash. And the way that the stretch marks are, I don't even go with the pattern of my skin. I've had them my whole life. It's really, really wild. So, so yeah, I've, I've definitely been sick with it most of my life. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure I, one of my cats scratched me and fleas bit me, and we had mice in the house. and all kinds of in black mold and then I got sick with mono and which caused the Epstein-Barr virus and I missed like six months of school I was bedridden in high school from mono and so it's just been a journey mm -hmm. and and of course like I'm no expert I, I think your environment does matter obviously to calm my system down I have to get make sure I'm like in a completely mold-free environment like I always have to do the army tests everywhere I live which tests the dust and not just the air and you know, it's, and I feel like I have to live in a bubble, but I, I know that the deeper I go within myself, that this stuff won't matter as much. And so I think 
I think that living in a clean, healthy, safe environment is super important. But I also think that there's a point where you can build your resilience to where that stuff shouldn't matter. You know, I spent a decade mm. traveling the world and I've slept in moldy hostels and outside and tents and mud huts and things that I know had mold and I, I didn't feel symptoms. But I, you know, and I was also living completely symbiotic to the earth. So I, I think there's something to that. And I equate that to, it's similar to transcendental meditation, you know, the way that it opens you up. It's easy to be love and light when you're showering in waterfalls and glacier rivers every day that are so clean, like tested 99.999% pure, you could drink out of them. And, you know, living off the land in the most beautiful place on earth, it's easy to be wide open and pure But like living in a city, you know, I I love Denver, but, you know, it can be challenging to get in touch if you're not consciously aware. But again, it's all about going within yourself because everything we need, everything is consciousness and everything we need is within ourselves, all the answers. And if we spend a little bit, it's not even a lot of time, you know, transcendental meditation is 20 minutes twice a day and you have to be trained by like a professional, somebody who's been trained to teach transcendental meditation. And it's it's a beautiful ritual. It's a beautiful yeah. ceremony. And maybe it would be helpful for folks if you could go a little deeper into what is transcendental meditation, who is Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and, and what is MIU. And- yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so Maharishi International University is in Fairfield, Iowa. So I'm obviously studying online. He is a yogi, he's a physicist, and he... He became, you know, he worked in the field of science and he basically proves that everything is consciousness and he created this beautiful, simple technique called transcendental meditation, which is like this key that unlocks the door to everything. And it's so incredibly simple, but you have to find, you can go to like tm.org and find a teacher and you have to go through the ceremony because it's specific to you. But it's 20 minutes twice a day, and there's basically a sound or a chant that you're given. It's specific to you and your ceremony, and you think it, and, you know, you just allow it to flow. And you don't, the beautiful thing about TM is that you don't fight your thoughts. It's not about clearing your head, because when you think thoughts and you have a busy mind, it's because your nervous system is releasing and detoxing, essentially, like all these thoughts so like it basically helps eliminate stress and with having chronic neurological disease for most of my life I actually experienced like a little bit of Lyme die-off like I could tell that something was shifting in my nervous system when I started doing TM but then you know my tests come back like this infection's gone this infection's gone and of course I just had Lyme stop too but I definitely noticed a shift in my body, my physiology. I just started doing TM at the end of January, right before I started my master's degree program. And I had chronic, severe chronic fatigue. I mean, it was just like, I would have to take two naps a day and my daughter hadn't started school yet. And it was just like, I was dying to keep up with her. She's five now. And And I'm a single mom with like a disease and a kid with a disease. So not to like pity party, but it's just, it's a lot. And with doing TM and she knows like, she'll be quiet during my meditation. Mm -hmm. She knows like, 
because she sees when I do this, I have more energy. Mm. And so I, that's when I started exercising again was like after I started TM and I, you know, before this last flare because of the mold exposure, which I think in the future won't, you know, I won't be as sensitive, but like I've pretty much cured chronic fatigue syndrome. Like I don't, you know, I don't need 12 hours of sleep at night to function. I can sleep six or seven hours and be okay and and make it through the day without a nap. And I, I haven't napped in months and you know, it's just even on my worst flare days, I don't have to sleep. And it's just incredible because the body goes into this deep rest as if you're sleeping, but you're completely consciously aware, even though you may not be aware of your body, you know, depending on how deep you go, but you don't, it's not even about that. Like you can have the busiest mind during your entire meditation and just knowing that you got all that junk out of your nervous system is just, it feels magical. And it's just the easiest thing in the world. You don't have to sit a certain way. I mean, it's about being comfortable <laughs> and and that's it. You can do it anywhere. It doesn't have to be quiet. If you can sit in a chair, like you can do TM. Yeah. So I, like, I think that's been a huge game changer for me just in life in general, even with doing hypnotherapy, I feel like that has allowed me to dive deep into some things, but I feel like it only scratches the surface compared to what TM does. Mm. You know, I think it's just, and, and it makes me, it makes me want to do more of like the quantum jumping style work and like any deep conscious based yeah, work. Yeah, totally. Because I'm like, I can talk about your problem that's happening right now, but I think that there's something way deeper to the mm. root of it, you know, that we're not even consciously aware of. And even traditional hypnosis sessions just don't, go into it so you know my goal is to just educate people about like the quantum field and consciousness mm. and have workshops and stuff throughout the summer and just just do like teach people quantum jumping and you know and I could probably even teach it in a way where people could just do it at mm-hmm. home themselves mm-hmm. without needing a hypnosis induction but I think that does help because like the hypnosis induction, hypnosis bypasses the critical thinking mind and goes straight to the subconscious where lasting change happens. You can change your patterns, your neural pathways. So I think having that hypnosis induction is really helpful. But I feel like the more you open up your consciousness and dive within yourself, it's easier to get there, mm-hmm. you know. So the vehicle can change. It doesn't have to be a hypnosis induction. You can get yourself there. And so a lot of places we could take the conversation. One question I had as you were going through everything, you talked a lot about shamanic practices and how you were introduced to shamanism. And could you help define what that is and what were some of those practices and rituals that you've learned? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gosh, there's so much. So, and again, it all ties into consciousness. I use drumming. Like, I've never done – I'm so boring, but I've, I use drumming. I don't even, like – use pot to get to an elevated state of consciousness. I, the drums slow the brainwave down to theta so that you can have like a hypnotic out of body experience. It's monotonous drumming. And that's always, I, and I don't need it. I can use like a rattle or just something, you know, some sort of percussion. And it helps me to have that out of body experience. And I use the power of intention. So like if I want to, and, and there are different levels of consciousness that you can go into in the shamanic world. There are different worlds. Like there's like the underworld or lower world, which doesn't mean like, you know, a lot of like 
traditional Christians will be like, oh God, the underworld, but it's not like that. It just means earthy. It just means like, you know, your power animal usually lives there, which again, is just another part of your consciousness showing up in a metaphor that makes sense to whatever it is you need at the moment and whatever guidance you need. It just, it all, everything means something. If it's light or dark, it means something night or day, you know, or, or cold or warm, you know, everything means something in a shamanic journey. So I literally watch, I set an intention three times I play the drumming and then I just watch myself leave my body and whatever intention I set, like I have a spirit guide in the form of a human who will come to me and they live in the upper world, which is like airy and light. And, you know, it's not as like heavy and dense as the lower world and earthy, you know. And then if I want to do a healing session for somebody and I do a lot of remote work, it's just with COVID, it just makes sense. But it just in today's society, you know, I, I can do this and the person doesn't have to do a thing. They could just be living their day-to-day life. I mean, if they don't want me to see what they're doing, I cannot do anything without permission. That's the other thing. So like, even if I harmlessly, if I wanted to do a journey about you, Jordan, and ask the universe why you came into my life, Mm -hmm. I will only get why in my life, like what matters to me, like what your purpose in my life Mm -hmm. is. But if I say, well, why did I come into Jordan's life? My guide would stop me and say, you don't have permission from Jordan to Mm. know that. So even if I innocently asked a question, if I don't have permission, you know, I can't do it. So if I want to do a journey for somebody, a healing session, we schedule a time where I have permission, they know, Mm -hmm. and, and it's only during that time. And then I journey to them. And obviously like if they're in the shower, I'm going to see them because I, I, it's, it's wild, but I just, with this intention, I can see people's houses. I found mm. missing people before, you know, doing this work, you know, just with the intention. And I have to journey to the person's higher self to ask them permission if I can even find them, you know, and some people have said no, but not many. And then the few that I've, and some people have passed on and I'm like, oh God, there's spirits here. They're dead, you know, and I hate giving that news. So there's like mm. a lot of responsibility that comes with this. But the middle world is like, the spirit version of the world we're living in now. And essentially everything has a spirit. Like I can journey to that candle spirit or to the spirit of your house or to the spirit of anything at all, the spirit of the water, you know, and sometimes I do that and just activate it and then drink it. And it feels really healing and refreshing and rejuvenating. So in the shamanic world, there's really nothing that you can't do. If I, so, and then I do a lot of like divination work. That just means you have a question, I find the answer. It might come in a wacky metaphor and the spirits might make you go through work to figure it out. And it mm-hmm. might the meaning might change over time too. But, you know, I do a lot of sessions like that. I have people come up with three questions and they'll email them to me and I just do the journey and send it back to them. You know, I'll do like a voice recording or type it up if I feel like being old fashioned and send it to them. But with soul retrieval, so first I do a full clearing and I've seen some shamanic practitioners who like, they don't do the extraction and clearing work first and you can't bring soul parts back successfully that can stay. It's like filling up a full glass of water. If you're full of junk that doesn't serve your highest good and, or like spiritual intrusions, you know, that's another, I cross over spirits Mm -hmm. and do a lot of work with spiritual intrusions. And so I will remove any spiritual intrusions and seal the individual so that they can't be 
you know, said that their sacred space is theirs and yeah. they can't be invaded again. And it's not like the movie The Exorcist. It's just like spirits miss having a body, you know. It's not like you're not going to spin your head around and like barf pea soup. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that at all. It's just like a lot of people who suffer from insomnia, the dramatic term is I do a depossession, but I just don't like you using that. I just say I remove spiritual intrusions because uh-huh. depossession sounds so scary. Yeah. And I can do it in a really like terrifying way where I channel the spirit through the person and they talk through the person, but most people can't handle that. So I just, you know, wait till I'm done and tell them and, you know, remove it. But some people don't get scared easily and they request that I do it that way. And so I just put the you to sleep basically in a trance and then I communicate only with the spirit. I ask them why they're in your body, who they are, how they died. So when we did our soul retrieval session and I had a spiritual intrusion, did it tell you anything about who it was? Oh, man. So I'd have to see your piece of paper. But, yeah. I, oh, you know, I do remember. Sometimes I, I like I just don't remember. The, I have photographic memory, but I almost feel like it's none of my business. So I just forget <laughs> it. Like, like I set the intention to forget it. So I do remember your spiritual intrusion was actually from like another dimension. Uh-huh. And I think I remember... Is it okay if I say why it came? Yeah, to yeah, you? sure. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm pretty open about it. <laughs> so it was from doing psychedelics uh-huh. that it just opens you up in a way. So if anybody's out there doing psychedelics, just set the intention beforehand that you know my body is mine. I'm not open to spiritual intrusions. Um, maybe call me for a soul retrieval. I know. I don't know. <laughs> um, can check you out, but things like that. So when I seal somebody after a spiritual intrusion, mm-hmm. you can't really, they can't, nothing can invade you again. They enter through the occipital. So a lot of people get like, that's the back of your head. A lot of people will get occipital headaches or migraines, insomnia, cause spirits don't sleep. I do like to ask them how they died because like I had a fear of water for a long time. And when my friend gifted me a soul retrieval, we did a depossession and I, I had a spiritual intrusion who had drowned. And mm. so my irrational fear of water left with that spirit. But you always have to do a soul retrieval right afterwards because people can start to feel lonely inside mm. if they've had an intrusion for a long time. And it's just not, you know, I always, so I do everything all in one. I don't mess around. I don't wait three days to do a soul retrieval. I know some people who do, and it's just miserable. It's just mm. unnecessary. And I think like, I've just been doing this for like 13 years, so it comes to me so quickly that some shamanic practitioners take hours and hours. I can do everything in about 20 to 30 minutes, and that's if I'm really taking my time. So it just is really quick and easy for me. And I'm thorough, you know. Mm-hmm. I just my I just get information really quickly, and I think it's just because of being so open. And so once I remove, I set the intention to, I I merge with one of my guides so that I don't suck up all the junk from the individual. Mm. And then I'll scan the body. You know, sometimes I think there's like a Christopher Walken movie where like there's a shaman and he's like going over the girl's body and he's like shaking his hand. And that's one of the techniques that I, I was taught by my guides and also by one of Sandra Ingerman's teachers or practitioners who teaches this work in Colorado. And it'll change with the energy, you know, like there's something I'm going over my own body and like it changes, you know, like with Mm -hmm. different organs that are bothering me right now. And that's one of it. Things will show up in spirit form. Like 
I had a friend who I didn't know had colon cancer in the past, and I pulled these black snakes out of our guts, and then, like, in spirit form, she was given, like, new guts. And so things wow. like that might happen, and it just kind of shows me that, like, something doesn't belong, you know, that, like, obviously snakes don't belong in the guts. It's, it may not necessarily be about a metaphor of, like, what do the snakes mean? It just means something is there that doesn't belong, and so sometimes I have, like, this straw or I merge with, like, a power animal and I'll, like, eat the stuff out of the person or, like, I'll suck it out with a sh- giant straw. And then I use, like, fire, so I'll throw stuff into a candle. And I don't have to. I can imagine it and it's just the same, you know, because our consciousness doesn't know the difference, mm-hmm. especially when the drumming is going. So once the whole body is clear, my guides will tell me, and I might be doing chakra work. I might be opening chakras. There might be chakras that don't want to be open and they're not ready to be open. I don't mess with stuff that's not ready to be open. Unlike Reiki, where it's like, open them up. It's like, I'm, they might not be ready yet, but I might get a message like, hey, in three weeks, they're going to be ready for their, their, you know, third eye chakra to be open. So just have them come back. And if my guides tell me that, like, I don't charge someone to come back in three weeks, open their third eye, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you paid for your session, I'm not trying to rope you into two sessions, like, it's just, I, again, the integrity thing. But once the person's all clear, then I do the soul retrieval. So I just set the intention to bring back any and all soul parts who are ready and willing to come back for whatever this person needs for their highest good for their life purpose and soul mission right now. Because that's the only time there is in our current consciousnesses right now. And some people have specific intentions like, hey, I was, you know, I was abused at this age and I want to go back. I want that soul part back. But that soul part might not be ready to come back. You know, you need a foundation first. And some of those other ones that aren't so intense might come back. And they don't bring back the trauma by any means. They only bring back gifts. The trauma has already happened. It's Mm -hmm. gone. So it can't happen again. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, like, the few days after we did our soul retrieval session, like, and a couple other pretty cool synchronistic things happened in, like, quick succession that I felt like it was, like, a leveling up in consciousness for me. And, like, I would finally, like, was, was back to, like, my full self. And so it was really cool, really cool experience. That's super awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that feedback. Yeah. I, you know, I get a lot of interesting feedback. A lot of it's like, whoa, you know, how did you know that? Because... I have no, most people who I work with, I don't know their history. Most of them are complete strangers. And I ask them not to tell me anything about them before we start, because how do you prove what you do isn't total bonkers, you know? And so when I, I ask the soul parts why they left, how old they were and the gift that they're returning. And sometimes they might be vague, you know, Mm -hmm. they might say, I might just see a baby and I'm just guessing that they might be a couple months old, but or I might see a person like whatever age they are right now, if I don't know what age they are, that might not say it. But for the most part, they tell me. And if it, the nice part is if the event, why they left, will cause trauma from the individual knowing it, they'll tell me in a metaphor that will make it gentler, easier. Yeah. And if it's something that like I did this work at community prep high school in Colorado Springs so like they hired me as a life coach but they knew like what I was doing because kids were starting to get off drugs Mm. and they the the kids at community prep were doing these meditations up in the mountains where I lived at the time and I was up in like Florissant area 
And my friend had this beautiful, like, your style thing. She called it the mandala. And mm. she was a therapist. And they would do, like, binaural beats, mm-hmm. meditations. And she invited me to do soul retrievals for these high school kids at this alternative high school. And so the director was like, I don't know what kind of weird shit you do is exact words. But, like, I want to hire you because kids are getting off, like, heroin, mm. you know, meth. And they're cleaning up their act. They're doing so much better you know because like you know i journey to these soul parts i bring them back and then these kids become whole and kids even teenagers respond so quickly pets respond really quickly it's like the older we get and Mm. and adult like older people do too you know i just did work for a retired couple and you know they're already changing their life the lady's like now i want to quit smoking cigarettes and like do better for myself so you know i guess everybody kind of responds quickly but kids it's just so night and day well and they also probably are more neuroplastic and you know aren't as ingrained in their thought patterns as older folks tend to be that's such a good point and i think you're absolutely right about that and like i'll never forget this kid i'll i won't say his name just like out of love for him and respect but i did this soul retrieval for for all these kids and i was like there's one kid who didn't do it he was like slouched down on the couch he looked like like the unabomber like he had his you know, mm-hmm. wearing all black, face covered up, glasses inside, hardcore into drugs, like heavy. And finally, I was like, I know you want a soul retrieval. I'm not going to be pushy, but like this is the last one. And there was a big thunder drum. So the kids would drum for each other. It was community oh, that's style. Cool. It was beautiful. And it's just so much more power. I mean, it's super powerful no matter what, but it's just so much more powerful when there's so much love and intention flowing into uh-huh. it. You know, love is truly the thing that heals us. And he finally was like, yeah, I really want one. And that was it. And I, I like his shakes me up so much even to this day. The nice part when I was doing these in, in a group session is, if kids had severe trauma, they would give me a metaphor. If they, the kids didn't want me to know something, it would come in a metaphor so they would know what I was talking about, know that I wasn't just some crazy lady. And it was always completely accurate. And, they, you know, the kids would always cry and hug me and say thank you. Some of them still, you know, reach out to me today. It's been, you know, six or seven years now, maybe longer. And anyway, so this kid, he lays down. I start clearing him, and I just have all it. I don't like to use the word demons, <laughs> But it, it paints the picture of what I removed from him. You know, I just believe in like higher, low vibrational mm-hmm. beings. And this, these were the lowest vibrational beings I've ever witnessed. They came from other dimensions that were like out of this world. I had to call in like extra guys mm-hmm. to protect everybody in the room. And I removed all this junk. And I see this a lot with drug addicts. I've helped a lot of like homeless heroin addicts get completely clean and sober and like get their lives back doing this work. But this kid, I mean, I removed so much junk. And I don't even remember the details about his soul retrieval, but I know it was powerful. And he had tears, like, coming out from under his glasses, you know. And I just gave him the biggest hug. But after his session, I was like, I just got to beat on this drum for a minute. Like, I I need to meditate or pray or something. And the next day, I went to the school. This was up in the mountains at the Mandala. And I went to the school, and I was sitting there with my friend who's a therapist we were both on the campus that day and he walked in the room and i introduced myself to him because i didn't recognize him no way yeah and my friend who's the therapist said she laughed at me she said i did the same thing today 
And that's when, like, that's when I got my raise. <laughs> that's when I got, you know, more and more referrals because yeah. of him. And fast forward to now, he has traveled the world. He's completely off drugs. He's sober, you know, and he stopped drugs literally instantly overnight. Yeah. He's like, he was wearing like bright tie-dye colors. You know, I could see his face. He didn't have sunglasses on. You know, he it was just, it made me cry my eyes out. And like, I love following his journey, like on Instagram and stuff, <clears throat> just seeing, you know, he's living his dreams and, I'm not saying like I did that by any means. He was brave enough to ask for this and he took his own power back and the information that I gave him and he was able to do something with it. Wow. And so like, I think this work is really powerful, you know, I, and, and I think, again, I think that's something that can be achieved through years and years of transcendental meditation. I think it's just like the slow way to get there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's funny. My friend John was on a couple weeks ago and we were talking about like as you work with spirituality and the healing stuff, people can be attracted to all the flashy stuff, right? And like I talk about psychedelics a lot. You're talking about quantum jumping and shamanic <laughs> rituals. But at the end of the day, the 80% of it is what matters, right? The daily meditation, eating healthy, getting good rest, avoiding toxins, like the very boring stuff that you hear ad nauseum, but that's what it comes down to. I agree completely. It really does. You know, and I think, again, I don't think that I have gifts. You know, I've had, like, psychic abilities since I was a kid. I remember being in the womb. I remember being born. I remember not wanting to be born. And my umbilical cord was around my neck, you know, because my mother didn't want me from the time that I was conceived. And so, you know, I I think, and maybe it was just, I, I, I don't know why that is, but my daughter is the exact same way, too. You know, she remembers she's really conscious and she'll tell me there's this beautiful story that I've never shared with anybody, but I knew I was going to end up being a single mom. I knew I needed my daughter, which I would have never learned about Lyme disease. It probably would have turned into leukemia because that's what Lyme does. Eventually Mm -hmm. it just turns into awful cancers, which I've had cancer twice in my life. So I'm sure that was the underlying cause, but you know, like my life just wouldn't be worth anything really I mean I was just living aimlessly without purpose I had little empathy in the ways that I do now comparatively speaking so she's just been the greatest gift and I I knew I I needed to have a kid and like it sounds crazy it was like I'll even do single mothers by choice I'll work 10 jobs if I have to but like I feel like I have to have a kid and I knew it was more than like a biological clock thing it was just like a purpose in life thing and I used to dig rocks and crystals, like mining up in Florissant. And so I had this beautiful smoky quartz crystal, like double terminated, absolutely gorgeous. And I put this, like I went to the, your, did my prayer ritual, made a tobacco prayer tie. And then I took the tobacco prayer tie. I lit a candle and then I buried, went up to the forest. And cause I lived up in the woods in the middle of the mountains. It was so gorgeous. And I bury, I put a prayer, like, I know I need to have a baby, and I, I, I know this sounds insane, but if this is in my highest good, this is my offering. And recently, my daughter, and I never told that to anybody. I mean, that, that's a weird thing to tell somebody to begin with, and I've never said that out loud, and I kind of just forgot about it. And within, like, a year, I ended up getting pregnant. I met my daughter's father, and, of course, it didn't end up working out. It was never supposed to, and that's okay, but... She said to me, maybe a few months ago, she said, 
I remember where I was before I was born. You know, I was living with the stars and I wanted to find you, but I had a hard time finding you. I had mm. to go to the forest and find the prayer. And I just started wow. bawling. <laughs> yeah. And she said that. And I was like, I've never said that out loud, you know, but she's just one of those kids. Like she doesn't have the amnesia that we come into this lifetime and forget yeah. our past lives. And, you know, she remembers, she talks about, I, I might sound like a total crazy person, but she's talked about her star friends and she's talked about, you know, how she's like, yeah, I see them and they turn blurry when, when grownups are in the room. Interesting. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, whoa. And there was one time I was really sick and when I was bedridden in 2020 and she came up to me and she was only three and she's always been able to speak really well and just really just ridiculously smart. She's on the autism spectrum like socially, but she's so ridiculously smart. She came up to me and she said, mommy, you're going to feel a little bit better tomorrow. My star friends are going to help you. The Arcturian ones. And I'm like, the What? And she said, the Arcturian ones, they're the blue ones. Mm. And so I had to Google it, you know, and I'm pretty versed in this stuff, but I didn't know. And it was like, holy crap, the Arcturians are the blue ones. <laughs> like, how does she know this? That's you know? wild. Yeah. Well, and I think what's so cool about having you as a mom is like, you're actually encouraging her and you're opening her up to the idea that, like, yeah, these are, are real. And I, I actually think that it's probably more likely than not that that is the natural way of things that kids are more attuned to the spiritual realm and supernatural beings, but it's just our society beats it out of them and can, you know, eventually their third eye closes and they are cut off from that sense of perception. I agree completely. You know, I, I try to nourish that part of her as much as possible and just allow her to be so creative and innocent and open. You know, I have like, I used to record the conversations when it's when I was pregnant, I used to like sense that I would, you know, I'd have dreams with aliens and stuff, but I'd like wake up and I'm like falling into my bed and I'm like, what? You know, I don't know if that was a dream or not. And, you know, I've recorded conversations with my daughter about like what her star friends said and did and how they spent time at the garden of the gods in the night. And that was like, yeah, it's wild. And she'd wake up crying in the night, like, where's my bear? And, you know, like, she's like in the middle of the floor and she sleeps next to me. And like, I didn't feel her get up and I sleep really light. And I'm like, maybe she did go somewhere. I don't know. You know, or maybe her consciousness went somewhere because, you know, it's not about what we physically experience, you know, sometimes. So I just, I don't try to change that part of her. And, you know, it's either homeschool or like something like Waldorf where it's like really, creative-minded and, and where they allow kids to just be who they are, you know? I yeah. think that's really important. And it's interesting you bring up with extraterrestrials, too. Something I've talked about on here before is I think the whole phenomenon of abduction is something that pop culture has misinterpreted in a lot of ways, right? And people think that it's your physical body is being blasted up into space and, you know, and maybe, and I, I certainly think that that is possible, but I also think even more often, probably likely it's, it's your, your astral body and, and your consciousness that's connecting with these beings in another dimension or intradimensionally, but not actually your entire body is gone. I think that's very true, too. Like I said, I've had a lot of experiences, and I might sound like a crazy person to some people, but it's just undeniable. And I think if you're open, then you get it. 
when I was first sick with Lyme disease, a lot of my problems were like heart, lungs, kidneys, brain, and eyes, gosh, everything. But I had this reoccurring kidney infection that doctors were like, we're, they're testing me for AIDS, for cancer. They're like, why won't you get better? You know, and all of it's negative and my blood work looks fantastic. And anyone with Lyme, you know, they're laughing because they know this story all too well. Like your labs are fine. You're fine. You're crazy. But I had this reoccurring kidney infection and I really feel like I might've died from it if this didn't happen. But I had this, I don't know if it was a dream or a hallucination from being sick or whatever it was, it doesn't matter, you know, it, because it was real in my body. But I saw this being, it looked like an extraterrestrial, walk over to me in the middle of the night, and it was before I knew I had Lyme, and they put their hands on me, and then walked over to us, like stumbled over to my closet. It was like they sucked up the disease, and mm. and then just like disappeared. And I don't know if it died, or just turned back into energy, or what, but I'm like, I just remember that so clearly. And during that time, you know, I would struggle with like memory lapses, I'd walk to the wrong apartment, you know, like Lyme is just freaking horrible. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would just ask, like yell out to the ethers, like I'm having a memory lapse. Where's my home? And they tell me the number of my apartment, like Mm -hmm. this number would just pop in my head. And obviously it could have been my own consciousness, but it was around the time when I was experiencing a lot of stuff. And it always seems like when I'm really, really sick, I have experiences with extraterrestrials like a vivid dream or something Mm -hmm. and I really think it is just a layer of consciousness because they can travel through time and space Mm -hmm. and I mean look at this the universe I mean Jesus we're not the only living planet here and one another experience I had was it was like a really vivid dream but I was up in like a spacecraft and I've had a rocky relationship with my family like I pretty much can't have anything to do with them they're just all really abusive alcoholics but I like I pray for them and I send them love they're really great I I believe in the conscious energy you know and maybe it's just a reflection of a part of me that I'm not anymore and it doesn't serve me anymore so that's why we just don't communicate but I'm like I want to send love to my brother I want to send love to my mom but they're just not safe healthy people to speak to on a conscious eye-to-eye level it's just not possible and I had this experience where I was up in this spacecraft and an essence of my brother was up there and these extra, extraterrestrials were like teaching me how to communicate telepathically, which a lot of people think is the brain, but it wasn't. They were like, no, no, no. And they, I thought the same thing. They were mm-hmm. like, no, we, we speak with our hearts. Mm-hmm. Like you have to open your heart. And if you use your heart, you can send love to his heart and he knows you love him and you know he loves you, but in the human, like the brain is sick, you know, in his body. So, like, that's where stuff gets miscommunicated. And I think that's, I mean, that's overall a good lesson for anybody in any situation is, like, communicate with your heart because otherwise it gets lost in translation with the ego, which is not a bad thing. The ego can be really great, but, you know, balance is key and and the heart, you know. But I, I think, you know, the reason people don't have experiences is because maybe their hearts aren't open or maybe they think they are but even if you would have asked me 10 years ago is your heart open I would have said yes and the way it's open now is very different than the way that I consciously believed it was open back then and my friend Gretchen had a good way of putting it where we're so used to I need to see it to believe it but in reality you need to believe it to be able to see it 
Exactly. Yeah, it is one of those things, you know, and obviously at MIU, you know, there's tons of science behind all of this and Mm -hmm. consciousness and the conscious field. I'm definitely not a scientist, so I'm not here to give a science lesson, but the information's out there. It's available. Mm -hmm. You know, the CIA has that big study. That was awesome. So, so you sent me that study that the CIA did on psychic abilities and I'm sure folks have probably heard a thing or two about what the CIA has done in terms of looking for mind control and psychic abilities, but the more you research it, they've, they've done quite a bit. And yeah, you sent me um, a study that they were using this gateway process. That was one of the things I wanted to mention to you when I, shortly after I had this oratory retrieval with you, I, I bought that same process and started doing some of those very deep meditations. And it's, it's been a really fascinating game changer, just the capabilities of, of what is possible. I love that so much. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I, th- I think that's really great. I-, I will have to dive into those. I've been so so lost in like the quantum jumping, but I really want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the information's out there, and it's right in front of us. But it is. It's like if you can't see it, it's not real. But gosh, I mean, you can't see atoms, but they're real. You know. Yeah. Yeah, this is that's so cool. cool. Yeah, right. So it was seven series and like so I've only started the first one, but I'm already like, oh man, this is this is really crazy. This is so cool. Yeah. And this is what the CIA uses, the gateway experience. Yeah, exactly. That is so awesome. And part of what it is is like it's this hemi-sync thing. So you're talking about like binaural beats earlier and like even just the very first introduction session, they use binaural beats to get your brain both hemispheres of the brain in total synchronization, and it was unbelievable. Wow, yeah. I'm going to have to borrow this from you when you're done with it. Yeah, that. totally, totally. <laughs> I'm so into this stuff. I yeah. think it's really great. And, you know, that's why, like, with healing, I'm, I've am been so much in my mind over the past few years, and I really think, like, it's not something complicated. That's why when I quantum jumped to a part of me that solved all my problems, and I'm like, what was the thing that did it? Like, what treatment system what herbs, what magic did you use? And they're like, just keep doing your transcendental meditation because Mm -hmm. the human mind, I mean, we're using 5% of it if we're lucky. I mean, studies show it can be less than that, even like 1%. So gosh, I mean, we're creating the universe with our consciousness, with our intentions, with our thoughts. You know, years ago, I wrote this paper about how the chronic debilitating health of humanity is a mirror of the chronic debilitating health of the planet. Mm. And, you know, I like, I love Greta Thunberg and everything she does. She's one of my favorite humans on the planet. And I, like, I spent a lot of time, you know, and I'm obviously very conscious about everything I do, but after learning TM, it's like, you know, that really is the thing, you know, if every person learned transcendental meditation and just started working on themselves, like the planet would start to heal because people would be conscious of the, the things that they're using or abusing or, you know, and they don't even know it or they do and they don't know how to change it. You know, it's just, it's amazing the things that change passively when you start diving into things like transcendental meditation, even my income has increased tenfold in just two months you know I like this is an embarrassing story but I I spent six months in Chicago to get better Lyme treatment and I was living off savings and I'm super good with money so even being a sick single mom with Lyme disease and a kid with Lyme disease paying for two humans for treatment like it's insane and I'm doing it I don't have rich family you know I don't have any support system really (laughs) I I have good friends now and like I'm making my own support system Mm -hmm. but when I came back from 
Chicago, I was like, okay, you know, there's just too much mold out there and I couldn't afford the treatments with the doctor, but we got good diagnoses that are like legitimate (laughs) CDC approved and all that junk so that everybody would stop telling me I was crazy. And, and working on like back pay disability for the times that I was bedridden for like some of my struggles now, but until I can get on my feet a little bit better with my health. But anyway, so we came back to Colorado in September of last year. So just recently. And, um, I was like, okay, well I got to get out of mold. I'm detoxing from severe mold toxicity, SIRS, which is a chronic inflammatory response syndrome, mast cell activation, allergic to life. You know, I couldn't even be outside in Chicago because the outside mold was so bad, wow. <laughs> like, let alone inside. Like it just, and there was no place I could go. I couldn't go into buildings, grocery stores. Cause I could tell I'm like a canary. As soon as I go into a place, I'm like, you guys have mold problems. And so we moved back. I bought this camper, like a brand new camper. I had it tested for mold because new stuff can be, you know, moldy too. And my brother was like, look, I've got a bunch, I've got like 10 acres, just park it on my property. You can live it in my house if you want to, but we probably have a mold problem that's underlying, you know, we're in an old house. So I bought this camper to live in to detox from mold. And I thought, you know, if he makes me mad, I'll just hook it up to my SUV and we'll go traveling, you know? So I had this plan (laughs) and the universe had a different plan. And (laughs) And, like, I don't know what happened from, uh, but, I, like, I was just at the worst, dry spot of my life. My savings had run out, and I wasn't getting new hypnosis clients. I was living on a mountain with, like, one cell phone bar, you know, with internet. You know, it was just, it was rough. And my brother's nuts, and we've never had a good relationship, and he totally lost his mind, which I expected. And I went to take my camper and go and my mom was like well you financed that in my name because I wanted to upgrade my car and I could do one or the other and so which I paid all my savings for this like down payment for this camper I paid all the payments like and my mom was like you're not taking it like you and Sophia that's my daughter can just like die on the streets and I'm like whoa you know she's obviously not healthy you know alcohol brain and what a trauma brain and you know I bless you with love but that's it you know (laughs) like I can't have anything to do with you people And so I had nothing like I had my daughter and we went to a hotel in Woodland Park, Colorado, and I tried like fundraising to like not be screwed and live in my car. It's the middle of winter in Colorado and which I traded in my car for a cheaper car, which helped a lot. But I just like my friend in Denver was like, come to Denver. I bought this house and it's sitting there. It's not ready for me. They're disabled. And they asked me to live there. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm nervous because I've had all this experience with mold and stuff. And I get there and it's like the most beautiful house I've ever seen in my life. And and then I just, I started getting tons of business, like mm-hmm. crazy business for my hypnosis, for my shamanic soul work, for stuff just like, I've just been so busy. I started my master's program. Like my daughter started school and we just got on our feet so quickly. I've got tons of money in my savings account again. And it just kind of happened within really since I started doing TM. It's just like all these channels open passively and magic happens in one's life. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's nothing I did. And I think that's a big lesson for me is to let go and flow and 
that's the message in transcendental meditation. It's not about controlling your thoughts or your experience. You don't like trying is forbidden in transcendental meditation. It's prohibited. You just flow with your experience and allow life to happen for you. Just doing that, letting go, all these opportunities are flowing my way. I've had so many checks just show up in the mail for thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm like, how is this real? <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't even understand how this is possible, but I just am thankful. You know, yeah. I'm so grateful. And, you know, I have a lot of Hindi friends and they're like, it's just your good karma. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, I hope so. But, you know, it's just, it's fascinating how, when we try to change our lives in, in hypnosis school, we're taught trying implies failure. You know, if you say, go try to lift up a chair, I think Tony Robbins says this, try to lift up the chair and this lady picks it up. It's like, no, 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 try. You're picking up the chair. I want you to try to pick up the chair. And she looks dumbfounded. It's like, you can't try. You just, you either do it or you don't. Yeah. Or, you know, or you're working on something, but, you know, trying, I just, I try to, I work on avoiding using that word because it does imply failure. And I feel like every time I try to change my life and change my trajectory, I failed. And then when I just let go of the reins completely and just flowed, it's like, I'm living in a million dollar house. I've got checks coming in the mail every week, more than, and it's just, it's insane to me. And I'm yeah. just going to continue to be me and do what I do and be a good person in the world and do my meditations and all seems to be coming together. And it doesn't mean that can't change tomorrow, but, sure. you know, I'm just grateful in the moment. I think just opening the mind opens up endless possibilities. And you talked about a, a great analogy you told me was the one with like the holding on to a rope that's shredding up your hands. Oh, yeah. I feel that a lot. I, that's totally me. Like... <laughs> Maybe I'm seeing something in you that I've <laughs> been doing to myself my whole life. Thank you for being a, a little piece of a mirror for me. <clears throat> but it really is. It feels like, you know, so many people are holding on to this rope. And I, I get this. I see this a lot in doing shamanic work. And they can't. It's like there's a fog underneath of them and they can't see the ground. And they're holding onto this rope and they're bleeding and their hand, yeah. the rope's shredding. And then if they just let go, the ground is right beneath their feet. And they can hit the ground running anytime. But it's like... What are you even holding on to? <laughs> and I don't, when I ask myself that, I'm like, I don't even know. What was I holding on to? Like a really sick alcoholic family who threw me out on the streets over literally nothing and like just their own insanity. And, and I've made such a great community, family, friends here in Denver so quickly. I just, it's like one minute I'm homeless and broke. And then the next I've got like, all my bills are paid for several months in advance and I've got savings and I'm starting my master's and all these opportunities just keep showing up for yeah. me because I just let go. And it's like the universe was waiting for me to do that for so many years. But I had all these beliefs that weren't mine. Like it's your family. You have to love them. You have to put up with their abuse because it's your family. It's like, no, I can cut them all out and still pray for them and send them mm -hmm. love with my heart every day and it doesn't change anything it just puts me in a healthier safer place and I'm not at the other end of their trigger anymore and I can you know I don't I don't hate them I don't have anger toward them you know I've forgiven them but forgiveness and setting boundaries you know it's like you mm -hmm. can forgive somebody but it doesn't mean you have to tolerate their abuse too and loving myself and respecting myself and it's like the more I do that 
the more I vibrate that out to the universe and it comes back to me. And I just receive so much love and respect and support because I showed myself that love and respect and support by risking being homeless. <laughs> and, and now it's life is just unfolding so beautifully. Yeah. And I don't have any expectations you know, I have intentions and goals because I think that's healthy and important. And I, I have big dreams, of course, but I don't really care. I'm not attached to how I get there because I've wanted a house like the one I'm living in for a long time. You know, it definitely doesn't look like what I thought, <laughs> but it's happening. And so, you know, I think just flowing and letting go and keeping creating that conscious space and just being a loving, kind person in the world. I feel like that's how you get what you want in life. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that whole idea of karma and the universe responds to the energy that you put out. And I think the reason so many people don't recognize it is just so much of the message that our society puts out and what people think is being quote unquote successful is keeping you further and further away of recognizing who we truly are and being entwined with the with the planet and with spirituality. And so the more that you embrace that the more you see that the world is always working in your favor we just haven't been willing to see it exactly that's exactly right it really like it's so stupidly simple you know and all we have to do is let go but it's scary to let go but it's like well how does that bloody rope feel you know (laughs) it doesn't feel very good absolutely (laughs) right you know it really it has it's been there all along and it makes me wonder looking back how long has this been here? And even though I've had a lot of challenges in life, it certainly hasn't been bad. You know, I've lived all over the world. I've done more things in my lifetime at 35 than people have done in five lifetimes. I mean, I love flying. I, I love being up in the air. I love the movie up in the air. with mm. um, uh, George Clooney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. And I want to have a million miles on my United points, miles and stuff, and have that silly announcement. Like, that's a goal of mine. I love traveling. And I always used to think, okay, if this plane crashes, would I be happy with my life right now? Mm-hmm. And as I'm like leaving Europe after living there for six months or leaving South Korea or New Zealand, you know, and it's like, well, of course I would be like, I just did the coolest stuff ever. But looking back now, I'm like, gosh, I feel like my life didn't even begin until recently. Mm-hmm. So, but we're always like reincarnating within ourselves, maybe, you know, growing and changing as our consciousness grows and changes and the meaning of our life changes over and over again, which is why I stopped being attached to an outcome and just letting go and flowing and just being grateful for, for every experience in the present moment Mm -hmm. without attaching to a specific outcome. Like I don't, I don't care what happens. I mean, I do because I'm not a sociopath, like, you know, (laughs) like I want the best for my life and for my daughter, but I just trust so much that everything will be okay. And a lot of that has to do with three weeks ago, I went to the ER, like having an anaphylactic attack. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know? And after suffering so much with Lyme disease, and I know suffering is a mindset and I've learned that and I don't suffer, but I, you know, it's like, I don't care because I'm just going to turn into energy and go back to the source. I'll miss my daughter, but I'll be the source and I won't even care when I'm the source. So, (laughs) you know, just, it's just, I just let go of everything, you know? And I think, that has helped me so much with coping with feeling like I'm dying all the time in my body, you know, like chronically dizzy and feeling like I'm going to blackout all the time and having organs that hurt. And I don't really 
recognize pain in my body. And I think that's grown even stronger since beginning transcendental meditation. Like when a doctor will be asking me, trying to figure out what's happening in my body, is there pain? And I'm like, I I don't actually, like I have to really think about it. I'm like, oh, I'm actually in a lot of pain if I focus on it, but I'm not focused on it. Like my heart, I, I just have such fierce love in my heart. And it's just always so open that I really think, I've met so many people have told me like, you're just the happiest person I've ever met. And they're like, you have this horrible disease. How is that possible? And like, it's just because I don't, I'm more than the crappy things that are wrong with my body. Like it's just, I've got this beautiful spirit and it's huge and big and it it makes life awesome. Well, and it was even our most recent reading on cosmic consciousness, thinking about as you start to integrate transcendental meditation and, and that just becomes your natural state of being, like, of course, you still feel emotions and you hit your finger with a hammer, it's still going to hurt, but you don't identify with the pain. You identify with the, the consciousness behind it. That's exactly right. I feel like in cosmic consciousness, what we've been reading in our master's program, it's basically after enough time of doing transcendental meditation, your consciousness goes from transcendental consciousness to this transitional transitional phase that goes into cosmic consciousness, which lasts. And once you reach cosmic consciousness, you are without stress. You're living in a blissful state 24-7. You're always conscious. Your sleep changes. You're always aware. And it can't go away. It's like once you're there, you can't go back. It's like the matrix, you know, (laughs) once you take the one pill, that's it, which is a relief. I mean, it could take a hundred years. It could take two years, you know, it just depends on the individual and their experience and whatnot. And it doesn't mean you're doing anything right or wrong, but I think that's true. And I think maybe perhaps that's, I'm catching glimpses of that, Mm -hmm. you know, because you grow slowly into cosmic consciousness and, but you've also always been very attuned to spirituality and to higher planes of consciousness. So there's Certainly, this isn't like TM isn't the only way to get to this state of consciousness. It's just a very effective, simple technique that has been used by people all around the world for decades. Exactly. It's like the easiest way to get there, Mm -hmm. you know, because again, I feel like even in hypnosis, I'm just scratching the surface. But with TM, it really opens you up to your own self, which is everything. You know, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. And for folks who, you know, like, I know it's, it can sound a little woo-woo if, if it's all new concepts to you, but, you know, for me, not just like the practice of TM was certainly instrumental in my decision to go to MIU, but even more important for me personally was just the philosophy and theory of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, where he put in what I believe, what I believe is the best paradigm for a theory of everything and what is called the unified field of consciousness. And then folks like John Hagelin, who's a CERN trained quantum physicist and Tony Nader, who's a neuroscientist. I went to, I believe Stanford, like these guys have built upon his work, but then continued to put it in the parlance of modern physics and modern neuroscientists to say, guys, this is not just theoretical or spirituality or in your head, some type of placebo effect. There is real science behind this and the studies that you can see that MIU has done and and other institutions like Deepak Chopra and and, and the like have just been finding just incredible results that for people who are practicing these types of consciousness related modalities. Beautifully put. Yeah. You just said like all the science stuff that I couldn't put into words, but that's exactly right. You know, and that, and that's what we're doing 
you know, we're not just sitting around floating on clouds at MIU. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but like we're studying, we're going through studies, we're learning from these doctors and physicists and neuroscientists and stuff. So it's, it's powerful. I mean, I'm the type of person because of my life and experiences crossing over spirits as a little kid, you know, they'd come to me and ask me to turn on the light and I would open up this portal and they'd go away. <laughs> you know, And I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew what I was doing. You know, so I don't need to be convinced, but there are so many people in the world who are skeptics and, and I respect that completely. You know, it's, it's for me, I just love seeing the science behind it. And I think maybe that helps a part of my own brain to open up even greater because like every part of me knows this because it is me. But then there's that little piece of my brain that like gets extra excited and opens up even deeper to those deeper levels of consciousness, knowing like this is scientifically supported in every way. And again, it's all obvious. It's all right in front of our face. And, you know, I mean, with technology, you can Google any of this stuff and, and read about it. So I, I don't, with the work that I do, I mean, I've worked with tons of skeptics who, like maybe somebody's wife sent them to me or when they're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. My wife thinks you can help me, you know, and and they're like, we got our second eviction notice and, and we're getting a divorce and you cheated on me and I my life is a mess and I, I don't think anything you do is real, but let's do this. And then like that guy's a millionaire now <laughs> and, and from the work that we've done together. <clears throat> so I don't care if somebody's skeptic when they come to me for healing work. Like it means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. I just, they're going to get their healing session no matter what. They're going to get better. And I've had a lot of people like, end up getting sober and be like, oh, I didn't even know I had a drinking problem until that, you know? And, and so for me, like, I, I'm not a person who needs to be convinced, but I do, I do certainly absolutely like wallow in the science. Like I just love it so much yeah. and I soak it up. It's, it's great to explore, to read about, and it, it just opens up my own consciousness even greater. And I definitely appreciate that. And it's cool. I mean, and that was certainly, I, I come from kind of the opposite side of the spectrum, right? Where I was always a skeptic, believed in the, dogma of scientific materialism and then getting introduced to metaphysical concepts like the unified field of consciousness and and uh, the holographic universe was what what intellectually allowed me to be open to it and then as i started to explore spiritual practices and and believe i started to see i love that, that and, and here we are like <laughs> we come from opposite ends of the spectrum and yet we still meet in the middle because that's like what we learn at MIU recently, we talked about how in transcendental meditation, when we try to help ourselves, we make it worse, you know, just let go and go with the flow, allow your crazy thoughts to happen, allow you, if you're being guided to go deeper, just allow yourself to fall deeper because we naturally, the natural law is energy flows to the path of least resistance to greater happiness, to greater bliss. And so by default, that's where we all end up. Some people, it might take them till the end of their life. You know, some people are so stuck in their pattern, but nothing is impossible. Again, I'm like the airy fairy hippie and, <laughs> and you're like the skeptic. And here we are like talking about consciousness in the unified field. And, you know, you came to me for soul work and my vehicle was like a lifetime of trauma and disease. <laughs> and somehow whatever happened in my brain to open me up to be intuitive and you were on the scientific skeptical side mm -hmm. and, and, and you use talk about using like psychedelics in the past mm -hmm. to open yeah. you up, which is fascinating and awesome. And however people get there, they get there. But 
It's, it's what we're striving for. The only thing we have to do is let go and accept it and allow it to happen versus like trying. And people talk about like the key to unlock the secrets of the universe. And like, it's this magical complex thing, but Again, transcendental meditation isn't the only way to get there. You can yeah. get there so many ways. A lot of athletes talk about their experiences of pure bliss amidst chaos. And I think that's really beautiful. They're catching glimpses of this cosmic consciousness, this higher state of being within oneself that is natural. That's our natural state. All this chaos and stress mm-hmm. and rubbish is not our natural state. You know, we just we flow to this and we can go kicking and screaming or we can let go and just allow life to happen for us. You know, I feel like I love Oprah and I think maybe it's her. She's, you know, she'll say like, your dreams are there waiting for you. They're just waiting for you to step into them, Mm -hmm. you know? And it really, I feel like it really is that simple. And as I am guilty of being a former, like super overthinker and the more I let go and just stop worrying about how or why or when things are going to happen, And just accept each moment, even when they suck for what it is, and accept the worst case scenario in every situation. It kind of helps me to flow a little bit easier. It helps feed the ego because the ego needs a reason. Like, no, we're going to die, like literally sometimes. But it's like, so what? So we become energy, you know, or like, what if I get mugged doing this or, you know, so what? Then I didn't need that anyway, you know, whatever. I call my credit card, you know, yeah, I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter. You just go through sometimes going down the the rabbit hole with the ego helps to like let go. But I feel like a lot of people mm-hmm. struggle with that, myself included in the past. <laughs> and I think the the point you bring up about death and your view of it is so important because for me, I think on the spiritual journey, having a, a very significant transcendental experience on psychedelics was really huge for me for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which was I lost my fear of death, right? Or at least my entire conception of death changed. And so, because when you stop thinking about us only having this one life or being just terrified of what comes next and you recognize, of course, it's just just our concept of time and of life is so limited from what it truly is. And when you start to recognize that we are all the same consciousness, that time is just a, a construct that we have created because we perceive events sequentially but that's not the true nature of things then then you start to recognize that truly all you ever have is the eternal present now exactly beautifully put i couldn't have said that better yeah for me i mean lyme disease helped me (laughs) get rid of my fear of death because you know i wrote this poem a long time ago it just like kind of came to me out of the ethers and one of the things i said was like death looks different when it's alive and now i understand because mm. like lime is like that you know it's worse than death because you're so miserable and like you just you know death would be a gift at certain times you know and I'd like not to be triggering to anybody but i just i just stopped caring you know and I, and i love my kid more than the air i breathe but and i would hate to be away from her but it just let me let go and for me that was my transcendental experience mm-hmm. it's not very pretty but it got me there and and doing shamanic work obviously you know it's a whole lot easier for me who crosses over spirits and i can go on a shamanic journey to the place where we go when we die and ask my guides to show me and you know they'll put an anchor so that i don't stay there because it's so dang blissful you know mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be like, I really love Leonard Orr's work. He talks a lot about immortality, works with the immortal yogis of the Himalayas and stuff, and which I'd love to go explore when my health is a little better. When I have a better CD57, I'll go to India. But he talks about like, 
and not not bashing Christianity. I think it's beautiful, and I think it helps a lot of people. I think there's just a lot of information that's either there or not, and I think a lot of people think they have to die and go to heaven or something in order to experience bliss, when that's just not true. Our natural state is bliss, and heaven is within your heart. It's within you. And it can be, it's it's possible, you know, you can find it anyway. I think transcendental meditation is a great, just because it's so dang easy, you know, pay the money and get trained to, be, to do this because you're, you're paying all this money, but you, you get your ceremony, you, you get like a week of classes and this unlimited library of phenomenal resources. Mm-hmm. Like it's just really beautiful. And it's just the easiest way to get there. You know, yeah. a lot of really famous people do TM and there's a link between like super rich and famous people who are like philanthropists and people and most of them do TM, you know, and they have a deep level of conscious awareness. Ray Dalio, Ellen DeGeneres, Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. <laughs> Oprah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's really spiritual and she does different. I don't know if she does TM, but I know she's really into consciousness. And, yeah. and, and, and she's really close with Deepak, who mm-hmm. comes from a TM background. And actually, I was going to mention, for folks who aren't quite ready to do the TM course because of the cost or whatever it is, Deepak's Chopra app is pretty good and has a lot of good mantra-based meditations for for a lower price point. Oh, that's a good... I, I didn't know that. That's really good. I can mm-hmm. like, refer that to people who are like, I can't pay the price for it. you know. And I'm, I'm grateful that at the time when I couldn't either, it was like rolled into my tuition. So I'm like, well, pay for it eventually. <laughs> but yeah, which now is, is fine. But... It's just, it's really easy. It's really great. And, but there are, there are so many other ways. And I just, I just think it's, I I think it's the best way to get there because of how easy it is. I agree. And it's just like, it's the consistency and just the, the way that you're able to integrate it into your daily life. And Maharishi talks a lot about how important, important that is that you integrate both action and meditation. And that's how it just becomes a natural part of your, your being. Exactly. Yeah. Periods of rest with periods of action. And for me, if you suffer always having to be doing something, like I, I always have to be productive or used to be, which TM has fixed that. I'm like, oh gosh, 20 minutes twice a day. I don't have time for that, which is the stupidest thing I could probably ever say. I've actually had more time in my day since doing this because your mm-hmm. brain, like, totally. it, isn't that amazing? Yeah. You've experienced that too. Yeah. It's like your brain rearranges everything. So because you don't have all the stress and when the stress is gone, you can see clearly. So it just makes life easier. And I've got so much time in my day and I'm extremely productive and I'm not taking two naps a day. You know, uh-huh. like everything's changing for the best. And it's just, it's so passive. It's effortless. It's beautiful. And on that point, I've found that my creativity when I'm deep in meditation is on a whole another level. And I'll come to solutions for problems that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. And then like, oh, I was stressing about this thing that was going to take me 40 hours. Now I can do it in two with this creative solution. Isn't that incredible? I love that so much. I, I feel that that's been happening more. When I, in 2020, I, I had stem cell therapy and the Lyme got worse because I wasn't on the right protocol and I ended up having a stroke. It wasn't massive, but like I blacked out. My daughter called the paramedics at three years old. Mm. She's like, awesome, saved my life. But like I stopped doing a lot of things. I stopped painting. Like 
you know, I'm a little more shakier than usual, but like, I mean, my brain is fine. It's recovered for the most part. There's like one little spot that shows up in an MRI, but it's not like detrimental by any means. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, I went home from the hospital, I'm a single mom, you know, I gave my kid a bath, made dinner, you know, (laughs) like just carried on with my life. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's, it's my life. And that's just how things seem to have been happening in the past. But I, I've just since doing TM, it's opened up creative channels and I've started painting again and painting beautiful Sanskrit things and just. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Like, and, and things that just come to me naturally. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I feel like it just opens up everything. And, and I've only, we've only just really, we're like babies in this, you yeah. know, and imagine. Like five weeks in or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah literally. <laughs> It's not that, it, I mean, it's, but it's crazy. And there are studies that are in like some of the most recent readings that we're doing in our class that show brain coherence. Uh-huh. There, There's a bunch of studies in the most recent reading for our master's program. And one of them is a brain coherence study. And they measure with EEGs to the brain coherence of somebody not meditating, eyes open, and then somebody doing practicing transcendental meditation and they work with two groups. One group is has been meditating for one year or less. And then the next group is nine years or more. So the group meditating for one year or less, their brain coherence grew higher during transcendental meditation. But the group who had been meditating with transcendental meditation for nine years or more, their brain coherence was already extremely high outside Uh of meditation because of cosmic consciousness. And it might've grown a hair higher or stayed the same during TM, which is the point, you know, it makes you, Mm -hmm. it's not about what happens in meditation. It's about carrying that consciousness with you outside of meditation. And eventually it sticks that coherence doesn't, it can't go away. That cosmic consciousness doesn't go away once you achieve it, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you become like a vegetable or something, but even then your consciousness is probably still super coherent. You know, it's, it's wild how this all works. It is so wild. Well, Kendra, this has been such a fun conversation tonight. Thank you so much for, for coming over. You know, I guess before we wrap anything, any advice that you'd give to the audience as a whole i know we talked a lot about tm but anything else that you think if folks are curious about consciousness or spirituality yeah just dive within yourself i know that that can be an annoying piece of advice that people like to give but i mean the answers really are within you and if you're quiet enough whether it's through tm or finding a peaceful place in nature for an afternoon you know there's something magical about that and you know your problems seem to dissolve so i think loving yourself and going within yourself is is the most important thing you can do awesome thanks Thanks everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Kendra's work with shamanic practices is super fascinating to me, particularly because the whole idea of shamanism remains a bit abstract, similar to the concepts of magic or witchcraft. I found Terence McKenna's definition of shamanism as helpful in building a mental framework here. He defines shamanism as the practice of the Upper Paleolithic tradition of healing, divination, and theatrical performance based on natural magic developed 10 to 50,000 years ago. Shamanic ecstasy is an act of surrender that authenticates both the individual self 
and that which is surrendered to, the mystery of being. Because our maps of reality are determined by our present circumstances, we tend to lose awareness of the larger patterns of time and space. Only by gaining access to the transcendent other can those patterns of time and space and our role in them be glimpsed. Shamanism strives for this highest point of view. McKenna has been a huge inspiration on my journey, not just for the uniqueness and profundity of his theories, but also for his willingness to show conviction in ideas that defy convention and were often unpopular. Another of his ideas that has been meaningful for me is the idea that we're currently undergoing an archaic revival. Archaic refers to this same Upper Paleolithic period, during which time human societies practiced nomadic pastoralism and partnership, a culture based on cattle raising, shamanism, and goddess worship. Revival in the sense that our current Western culture is in the process of resurrecting important elements of this archaic period with restored, harmonious attitudes towards community, substance use, and nature. As I look to be of service in catalyzing this archaic revival, one way I hope to do so is by highlighting the science of consciousness. For people who, like me, approach the topic of spirituality with a skeptic first perspective, seeing the results of the science of consciousness can prove instrumental in breaking mental paradigms. Because once you understand the limitations of scientific materialism, you can start to understand that these shamanic practices are simply practical means of achieving higher states of consciousness, unique physiological states which are fully backed by scientific research. For example, Kendra and I spoke at length about the practice of Transcendental Meditation, which is run by Maharishi International University. I chose to enroll at MIU specifically because the body of research they've conducted over the past decades supporting a science of consciousness is so strong. Kendra mentioned the increased brain coherence both during and outside of meditation. Other studies on transcendental meditators versus control groups have found increased power of attention, increases in holistic intelligence, including creativity and field independence or the ability to see the forest for the trees, improved memory and perception, improved athletic performance, reduced cardiovascular disease and death by 23 to 33% for long-term meditators, over 50% of smokers who chose to quit within two years of learning transcendental meditation, improved blood glucose and insulin levels, reduced insulin resistance, and more stable autonomic nervous system functioning, 23% expansion in lifespan, 55% lower rates of cancer, and on and on and on. But if the health benefits of transcendental meditation and other daily meditation practices are so meaningful and far-reaching, why does our society in general continue to ignore them? I'd imagine one important reason is the limited financial incentive for big pharma to encourage meditation in the prevention and treatment of disease. As the support for meditation and integrated medicine continues to pile up, I expect our society will push further away from the confines of allopathic or Western medicine that will embrace a holistic view of health, one that rejects the idea of the human as a machine made up of parts, but rather acknowledges that mind, body, and soul are one unified being. And as we extend the science of consciousness past the individual into the collective, we get into the seemingly more paranormal field effects of consciousness. For example, a small group of meditators, growing in higher states of consciousness, functioning in a more orderly manner, 
can neutralize social stress and bring orderliness to the whole society. This effect has been observed over and over and over again when the population of people practicing transcendental meditation daily exceeds 1% of the total city population. This example of the resonant field effects of consciousness is known colloquially as the Maharishi effect. 22 studies on the effect have shown decreased crime rates, including decreased violent crimes and homicides. The average reduction in crime in these studies ranged from 8% to 23%. This is not magic or mysticism. These field effects are grounded in hard science. The reason group meditation is more powerful than individual meditation has to do with the principle of wave behavior called constructive interference. In John Hagelin's words, The radiated power and resulting societal effects emanating from a group of meditators will grow as the square of the number of meditators in the group, i.e. grow quadratically as opposed to linearly. This is because the amplitude or height of a wave is equal to the sum of all the contributing waves that occupy a common space. Yet the power of that resulting combined wave is proportional to the square of the height of the wave. That is why, for example, the volume of two loudspeakers playing monaural sound in close proximity to each other is two squared, or four times, the sound of a single loudspeaker. It is also why the intensity of laser light grows as the square of the number of photons in the beam. This is a universal principle of wave behavior known as constructive interference. So I hope that as more research is brought to light supporting the science of consciousness, we Homo sapiens in 2022 will continue to re-examine who we are and what is our role in this cosmic dance. That will start to question whether our current scientific paradigms and hierarchical power structures are in fact built upon flimsy houses of cards. That maybe those upper Paleolithic peoples understood a thing or two about creating harmonious societies. And that will once again move towards a partnership model that embraces the feminine divine and lives in cooperation with nature.